Welcome to Desirability Alt, where we'll explore the intersections of disability, desire, and alternative relationships. I'm your host, Angela Carr. This podcast is intended for an adult audience who identifies with or is curious about alternative relationships, including kink, BDSM, non-monogamy, total power exchange, and more. This content is not suitable for those under the age of 18. Get ready, listen by yourself, or gather with your partners and enjoy this episode. Welcome back. I'm excited today to be interviewing my first guest. My co-host today is my friend, Allie Fallon, who is the polyamorous librarian. I've known Allie for several years since I started going to poly meetups. I started off thinking this would be a poly 101 discussion, but listening to Allie, I learned some new things that I had never considered. Allie talked about shared language, words and their meanings, the importance of community, jealousy and compersion, as well as coming out as polyamorous. I hope you'll enjoy this episode as much as I did. Ellie, welcome. Thanks for having me. Sure. How are you? Oh, well, you know, it's a pandemic. But other than that, uh-huh. it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I've known you for a long time. I'm so excited to get a chance to talk with you today. I know. it's Oh, it's been a while. Yeah. We met, and then I moved, and now I'm back. <laughs> Are you still in the same general area or? So when we met, I was in the Philadelphia area and then I was in Connecticut for a few years. And now I'm, yes, I'm back in the South Jersey area. So I'm in the Philly metro area again. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I'm so glad we get to catch up on Facebook. Yes. (laughs) So we're going to talk today about polyamory and I wanted to see if you would just start off telling the audience uh, who you are and what type of work you do. Uh, So basically, I consider myself to be a relationship educator. um, And that is a, a title that I've given myself over the years, based off of the prodding of a lot of the people around me. Uh, My degree is actually librarianship. So um, nice. everything that I do in terms of education is all based in experience. I learned about polyamory when I was, I want to say 19 was the first time I ever heard of it, but already by then I had been in some interesting relationship configurations that could be considered polyamorous or open. Uh, I just didn't have the right word for it. And Over the course of years, I had gone through other configurations that were open or poly, and I eventually um, decided that polyamory was going to be the um, exclusive relationship model that I was going to use. I started going to discussion groups and meetups, and eventually was asked to talk more and more about it until a friend of mine asked me if I would work on a workshop with him. And yeah, so since then, we've done workshops. Uh, We just got a grant to do two nonfiction books that will be coming out hopefully within the next two years. 
And so that's, that's what I do. That's like where I come from. The thing about polyamory is that it's really community led. And so when it comes to education, we sort of have to all look to each other because the people who are writing articles and making television segments and portraying us in the media are generally speaking either not us or have only recently been represented by us Mm -hmm. so (laughs) it hasn't always been the most helpful to look outside of our community for education Um, so the best resource for learning is each other yes yes I agree and you have another book that's come out right the for hire series the for hire series yes so my co-author, Kevin Patterson, he wrote this amazing nonfiction work. Mm-hmm. One of the most important books I've ever read, not just on polyamory, but also on anti-racism uh, called Love's Not Colorblind. And it, it, it's tough because the, the book looks at the polyamory community through the lens of racism because so much of the community was built around white upper middle class couples you know it sort of it came a little bit out of swinging it came a little bit out of well swinging sort of came a little bit out of military culture you know and and there was such a a strong bent towards just a white upper middle class focus and then to a point it's like, okay, then middle class can come into it. And he would go to meetups as a black man and look around and not really see people that looked like him. And so over time, he talked about it. And some people thought it was great. And some people did not. And eventually, he wrote a book about those experiences. But it was not an easy book for him to write. So in the middle of writing it, he took a break and sort of knocked out this like draft of a superhero novel and then he handed it to me because he knew I was a book nerd and he was like how is it and I was like well uh you've got some really good ideas (laughs) (laughs) and he was like oh and he got really sad (laughs) and he kind of like took his ball and went home for a little bit (laughs) And then he went on the Love's Not Colorblind tour where he was going from, you know, signing books in, uh, uh, across the U.S. and Canada. And then he came back and he was like, no, Al's this book, I really love it. Like, tell me how to make it like a book book. Mm-hmm. And, I, and so we sat down and we sort of knocked out some stuff because he had never written fiction before. There's that idea that, like, everybody has a novel in them, which, like, might be true. But what people don't understand about the art of writing is that just because you have a story in you doesn't mean that you understand the craft that puts that onto paper in a way that's like uh, functional and sellable, right? Right. And so he thought that I had those skills. And so we sat down and eventually we got to the, we got to the point where I would like, make a suggestion about something that was like missing narratively. I was like, you know what? You need this here. You need this here. You know, you're, you're looking at this character arc, but you're missing this like pivotal scene. And he would turn to me and he'd be like, okay, write it. And I was like, uh, 
<laughs> what? And he'd be like, no, write it. He's like, it would be better from your perspective anyway. You obviously have a vision for it. I don't know if that's how he would word it, but like he, that's what he was saying. He's like, yeah, you're not an editor anymore. You're like a co-author. And so, uh-huh. so that was uh, two books and a draft and a half ago. <laughs> and the pandemic knocked us back a little bit. We both had to go through our like, I can barely read a paragraph stage mm-hmm. of emotional distress. Yeah. And definitely couldn't write for a little bit. As most of us. And so I'm I'm actually reading again, which is lovely. I just finished my first book that wasn't a graphic novel because I felt like I could read again. And and then that like built up my ability to get back into books. <laughs> I was like, yay! And then I like jumped back into work. And <laughs> so it looks like we'll be done the draft of the third book, um, which is actually a prequel and may or may not be marketed as YA. That should be done within the next two months. I don't know whether or not we're going to... Yeah, I know. I don't know if we're going to, like, jump right into self-publishing like we have with the other two. We may actually try to go for an agent on this one, but it depends. <laughs> it's a, Two months from now is about five years from now in pandemic time, so mm-hmm. whatever. Well, I'm so glad that he reached out to you and he saw your talent. Oh, okay. I, yeah. Yes. Bless him. Yeah. So... For audience members who may not know about polyamory, I thought maybe we could do a little bit of polyamory 101. Absolutely. I get asked a lot about what term is the umbrella term, right? Mm -hmm. Is it polyamory? Is it ethical non-monogamy? Is it consensual non-monogamy? Right. And it's one of those things where you'll hear it from different people in different ways. I see the umbrella term as non-monogamy, just non-monogamy. So you have monogamy and non-monogamy. And, you know, non-monogamy would be where you do not have exclusivity within partners. Underneath that umbrella of non-monogamy, and note that I'm not putting the word consensual I'm not putting the word ethical there Mm -hmm. specifically and I'll talk about why you have all sorts of things under that umbrella one of which is polyamory and to me polyamory is the desire for potential for and or the reality of having multiple ethical or hmm, I'm going to get into why ethical is such a such a a landmine of a word in the community Mm -hmm. Um, partners with the consent of all involved so the umbrella term it doesn't really matter we can use words for things and this is the librarian in me this is the word nerd this is the book girl right? we can use words for things and it does not matter what those words are as long as we have a shared language. So you may call the person that you're seeing honey and your partner's parent may also refer to that person as honey, but their coworker does not. This does not mean that your partner 
will not turn their head when you call them honey. <laughs> so it doesn't mean that it's their name or not their name or whatever. It is a shared thing that the two of you have agreed on that this is a thing. But if you want to call your partner Shmooky Pookums, and then, the, and then your partner says, please don't call me that, then you don't. This is why when people are like, no, this is the umbrella term. No, this is the umbrella term. No, polyamory means this. No, polyamory means that. And then they try to get into these like very boxed definitions. I tend to be like, okay, let's not. And the only reason for that is there's a lot more of things that it's not, right? Non-monogamy right. is not monogamy, period. Right. The nuances... We're going to let go of them and we're going to let the people involved decide. Cheating is not polyamory. However, polyamorous people can cheat. Absolutely. That's called screwing up and you have to deal with your mistakes. <laughs> Just like monogamous people can cheat and screw up, mm -hmm. right? Right. So... I would not put cheating under the umbrella of non-monogamy, but I have seen people do it because it is not monogamy, right? Right. So well, that's, that's where ethical would come in, right? Right. So that this, this is why people are like, oh, ethical, consensual, etc. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, because cheating is not monogamy. It's like, okay, but monogamous people, people who identify as monogamous, cheat a lot. People who you stand in front of god and their families and some sort of pastor or whoever religious figure and say they're going to forsake all others eventually if they go forth and they decide to break their vows we don't label them non-monogamous for a reason right so i sound like i'm contradicting myself but what i'm really arguing is that let's not argue over nuance let's discuss instead the very basics of the terms and then what people identify as is like a little bit more fluid and let's be respectful of that so yeah that mm -hmm. that's where I stand and I like that because I think that that is more that you have to communicate with your partners about what all of these things mean to you Oh, yes. And if you are thinking about polyamory, get used to long, convoluted conversations yes. like the thing I was just saying, uh -huh. because <laughs> philosophical discussions are going to be your new favorite or least favorite thing that you are going to have to do very often. Yeah. <laughs> the thing about polyamory is that you have actively chosen to step outside of a societal norm and how much you choose at that point to pay attention to what you're doing is almost certainly going to be an indicator of how successful you're going to be in it. So if, if you decide, okay, I'm going to be polyamorous. And the very next thing that you do is just jump in and then just start dating and then doing your thing without any self-reflection, without any reading ahead of time or looking for community or connecting with people who've done it before, you are so likely to make the mistakes of all the people who have made mistakes before. Do not advise it at all. 
In fact, that's the, the first book that Kevin and I are working on. As soon as we finish Supercell, the For Hire book, the first effing foundation grant book that we're working on is based off of our workshop called Cautionary Polyamory. And that whole workshop is based off of taking in the stories of people who have been there, done that, messed it up, and mm-hmm. what they learned from it so that no one has to reinvent the wheel. Nice. We have the internet. We have the ability to publish books and actually get them in front of people and not just in like tiny little specialty stores anymore. Like polyamory isn't a thing that we have to whisper about anymore. Mm -hmm. And so why shouldn't we get those stories out there and make it easier on people who want to learn more about this and who want to like go into this informed and not make mistakes or at least not make the same mistakes that everybody else makes. Yeah. So yeah, the ethical Um, thing, like, mm -hmm. it's such an interesting position because the discourse on what ethical means and who decides what ethical is, is really like, it's not about polyamory, it's actually about, like, the existing systems and, like, where do we get our idea of ethics and, like, who Mm -hmm. decides what's ethical and, like, where did those ideas come from and who did those ideas come from and who do they benefit? Right. So that's mm-hmm. why I'm like, I don't want to use that word. Please don't make me use that word. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Won't make you use that word. <laughs> so if someone says that their partner wants to open up their relationship, but they're not sure about it, what would you recommend that person do? I would say they would want to do some reading I would say that they would want to talk to some people if they can who have done it before I think that they should look at success stories I think they should look at failures I think they should look at the reasons why that they are feeling I think they should be willing to name they have to be able to name what they're feeling, right? Mm -hmm. That's always the first step. I, I once got into this like mini throwdown in college with my professor, a sociology professor about jealousy, because in polyamory, we don't see jealousy as like a primary emotion. We see it as like this indicator of something. And she was like, no, it's a thing all of its own. And I'm like, Eh, but is it? <laughs> she got really <laughs> mad at me. Usually when it comes to polyamory, jealousy is an indicator that a need is not being met. Something's up, right? So I feel jealous because you are spending a lot of time with this new partner. Okay, cool. Let's break that down. What does that mean? Does it mean you feel like your own time with that person has been taken away from? Do you feel like your partner's not paying as much attention to you, that they're not being present with you? Or is your partner like escalating that relationship really fast and it's making you feel like your own relationship maybe has lost its footing? You have to be willing to talk about those things. There is a lot of ownership in monogamy my boyfriend, my girlfriend, that's my man. And 
deprogramming that ownership, especially for cis men and cis women, especially when that's all you've known your whole life, is a chore. I still get tripped up on it, and I've been doing this for a long time. I still, I still feel with my guy partners a way that I don't feel with my woman partners. I definitely get more jealous faster. And it's upsetting to me because I know how ingrained it is. It's not a pleasant feeling to perpetuate the myth that somehow you're going to hit like polyamory evolution to the point where jealousy goes away. No, you you learn the coping skills to say, oh, (laughs) look, I'm feeling jealous. What does that mean today? Oh, today it means blank. And there you are. You have your answer. You just have a bad feeling for a second. Whereas before, that bad feeling might have taken up a day, a week, a month of your life. And early on, it it might feel like it meant you weren't good for it. Like, oh, I can't do polyamory. I'm too jealous. I've heard that. Oh, my God. I heard it from my gynecologist. (laughs) How'd I'm that come up? <laughs> I know, right? She asked me, you know, like you, they asked how many partners, and I'm like, oh, I have mm-hmm. like two partners or three partners or whatever it was at the time. And she was like, oh, and she's like asking me questions, and I thought, okay, cool, I don't mind, I don't mind doing some education, it's fine. Mm-hmm. But then, but then she was like, I couldn't do it. I, I'm too jealous. I love my husband too much, and I'm like, are you trying to tell me I don't love my husband? Like. <laughs> Because I do. I, I love him in a way that, I mean, we're not, my husband and I are not together anymore. But like, when, when I love someone, I love them enough to recognize in myself and in that person, that love does not have to be ownership. Love does not have to be limited in that way I think after you've been doing this long enough or even when just you meet the right people who are doing it happily you don't get a very different sense from the way that they love than you do from a person who loves more than one child or more than one parent or more than one friend or more than one grandparent or whatever once it becomes normalized to you once you see it in action you're just like oh yeah, of course. Of course we have that much love in us. Why wouldn't we have that much love in us? Why do we have to love in this like linear stop and go fashion? It's like, oh, because we treat our bodies like they're like this object that needs to be passed from one person to the next. That's weird. That's a little weird. No, thank you. Yeah. And how, how about uh, this word compersion. Can you explain that to folks? How do we yes. get to a place of compersion in, in our relationships? Compersion is very nice. Compersion is the feeling that you get when you are happy about your partner's happiness and polyamory. It's a lovely feeling. People have referred to it as the opposite of jealousy. And I would say the closest feeling that I have is So I have a son, and when he was little and I would hold him, 
like when he would throw his arms around me and my heart felt like it was going to burst <laughs> just out of loving him so much. That's what compersion feels like. When you can let go of that, all that programming, because I do think compersion is, is a complicated emotion because I think it is a joy, not just of being happy for someone else, but I do think that there is an underlying feeling of like, ha ha, I have thrown off the shackles of what I was taught and there is a freedom in it. You know, the freedom of, of not being tampered down and, and having the feeling that you're supposed to have, which is jealousy. So I think compersion is amazing. It, I mean, it can also be very chill. How do you mean chill? One time I was over at my Metamore's house. Your Metamore is your partner's partner. So I was over at my Metamore's house. And then the person that we were both seeing came over. And we were all having like a, a hangout work thing where we were like sort of doing our own separate thing. And she was working, um, my partner, his his partner, my partner was working. And he and I were like talking and, and she looked up and she said, babe. And we both turned to her and she said, boy, babe. <laughs> and then we all just like burst out laughing. <laughs> Because, like, and then that feeling that comes over you of, like, this shared experience. So it can be a very, like, chill, like, moment. Compersion's a wonderful feeling, and not everyone feels it, right? Some people mm -hmm. don't have that sense, and those people feel very alienated by the community. Like, they're lacking somehow, and it's not fair. It's like, oh, here's this great thing. And you just can't, you just can't get there. So you're broken or whatever. And it's not true. There's this thing called parallel poly, where you don't have to have anything to do with your partner's partners. And it just means that you two can be having like a same life with the same partner, but you don't have to interact. There's no you don't have to constantly be like hanging out or be in each other's circles or anything like that. That's not, it's not required. And anybody who tells you it's required, basically anybody who tells you that your relationship has to be a certain way that you don't want it to be, that person is not for you. Right? Yes. Kitchen table poly is you can all hang out. And people tend to favor kitchen table because it sounds great. It sounds ideal, but it gets idealized. I was just thinking about as far as jealousy and compersion in, in my past relationships. There were times when I felt jealous and it wasn't always about the time that you're spending with her or about sex or anything like that. I remember being jealous because my metamor could clean the house like perfectly and in no time <laughs> so like sometimes those jealousies will pop up in areas where you don't even realize it and oh, then, absolutely yeah. absolutely and then i was thinking as as far as compersion i remember that she used to wear these headbands my husband and his girlfriend they would make these headbands together for her to wear and they have like pictures with them and everything and i i really felt that 
sense of compersion when I would see those pictures. Now when I look back at some of those old pictures of the two of them together, I'm like, oh, how cute. <laughs> it just makes yeah. me smile. It could be just, just absolute joy. You know, I know people who have like given away their partners at, at a wedding. I mean, obviously you can't mm -hmm. have a legal wedding because that's not how our legal system works. So when people talk about marriage equality, it's like people are like, don't call it gay marriage, call it marriage equality. I'm like, no, no, call it gay marriage because marriages aren't equal yet and they won't be equal until people can get married no matter what and not lose their disability mm -hmm. benefits and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But also that people who want to be able to get married can get married, including polyamorous folk, but cautionary poly. Uh, our workshop, which is going to be a book, which actually comes from a function of Kevin's blog, Poly Role Models, someone submitted a story to Cautionary Poly about a pizza. <laughs> a partner got really, really mad about a topping on a pizza. <laughs> As someone who can't play video games, I get very sad that my partner who loves video games can play video games with his other partners, right? And I can't play them because I physically can't play them. Like, it isn't right. that I have a lack of enthusiasm or whatever. So that, like, bumps up against my, my disability issues, right? So it, mm -hmm. it bumps up against my sense of self-esteem. It bumps up against my sense of loss for the things I can no longer do. You know, I can't binge watch TV anymore. If I have a partner who wants, like, just sit around and like binge watch something all day with someone else I feel sad and I might feel jealous but at least I know when that happens where it comes from it's about loss it's really what mm -hmm. it is it's about loss there, there's so many interesting things that like come up around our bodies and disability and dating yes so polyamory makes it makes it interesting. <laughs> I have to say it makes it it does make it like sad sometimes because I you know I've only had my issues for this is like year 3. And because I don't have a diagnosis um we don't know if one day someone will just say, "Oh, you have this." we can get you right back to where you were, right? So I always still hold out in hope that like, okay, I probably won't ever go on like a roller coaster again. But like, I have days that I can like watch a television show without medication. But then there are other days where I can't watch television at all. And when I say days, I mean weeks. So... It's funny, too, because I've been so focused on my health issues for the past three years that I kind of forget that I've had a health, a completely different health issue since I was 25, which is that my back is, like, not good <laughs> at all, and that I've been in physical therapy for it since I was 25, on and off, and that I have to do stretches for it, like, between one and three times a day. I don't think about it because it's so normal to me. I don't feel bad anymore when I see, like, my friends go for a jog. Or I didn't for the longest time. I got myself to a point where I could do a tiny bit of jogging 
and then I ended up with this like weird motiony thing, which is like motion sickness to a ridiculous degree. And now I'm like, I just want to jog. <laughs> <laughs> so when I have partners who are like, yeah, we went out, out to the woods. I'm like, I can't even get in a car and go longer than 15 minutes. Yeah, it's it's difficult to see other people having those experiences with partners, knowing that this is probably not a thing that's going to happen again in my lifetime. Maybe, possibly, probably. But that's, you know, that's where having these skills of being able to name these things come in really, really handy. Yeah, yeah the self-reflection that it that it takes and uh, the work on yourself and and to think about where those emotions are coming from I think that's something that attracted me to polyamory to begin with that level of communication and the level of self-reflection that we need to have oh yeah there are a lot of exciting things about it the dating and the meeting new people and and sharing interests and just generally speaking, breaking down a lot of societal barriers. But really that need to look at yourself and just sort of better yourself and your relationships is it's, it's very compelling for a certain type of person. I would not say though that it is everyone in polyamory. Mm-hmm. Some people just kind of come in and they're just like, wee, dating! <laughs> Ego validation all the time! Yay! <laughs> sex, 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 or whatever. Uh-huh. Or they have like a decent combination going on. You know what I mean? It, it's a lot of different personalities, especially where I live. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a stronger dating culture here right now, I think, as a result of... I think a lot of it is is political. There's a concept called polyfidelity, which is like what you usually see when you see something represented on television, which is people who are in these groups of three or maybe four, and then that's that's it. And they don't date anybody else. They're just, some people call it monogamy plus, but it is polyamory because it's multiple partners. And... So as the community started to, like, grow in terms of, like, people in, who are now in their, like, 30s and, I guess, early 40s started to come into the, into the community, they were just like, well, what if we just didn't do the free love thing that you guys are talking about and we didn't do the big giant commitment that you guys are talking about I like to call it like first wave second wave what if we created our own wave that was a little bit a little bit more structured than the first wave a little bit less structured than the second wave a little bit more compatibility based rather than scarcity based because there's a lot of us now and so you ended up with a bigger dating culture than a commitment culture which is kind of cool I also love the Philly dating culture because it 
is based and like I know I sound like I'm contradicting myself I'm not I love my city mm-hmm. I I know that everybody in Philly will laugh at me for being a Jersey girl saying calling it my city but shush up <laughs> um I love I love that Philly is it's kind of its own thing like when I go visit other places and when I've lived in other places the polyamory communities have been significantly different and Philly has always tried really hard to do its own thing and be its own thing. And like right now the idea is that everyone is autonomous and should be autonomous. And I agree with that. But then the question that everybody is struggling with is what does autonomy look like in a connective group? And part of me is like, Aw, I'm old now, and I kind of miss, like, the olden days where everybody, like, was super connected all the time and everything felt like a big family. But also, those connections were often based on scarcity. So, before the internet, right, or at least at the beginning of the internet, when online dating was not a huge deal you basically were like, oh, you're also polyamorous? I guess we're in a relationship now. (laughs) Because (laughs) what else were you going to do? (laughs) There were so few of us. (laughs) I mean, I I made a joke the other day, but I think it's one of those jokes that's funny because it has a kernel of truth in it, is if I'm on a dating site and I'm talking to a guy and he starts, like, basically assuming that we're going to date... I can sh- tell you right now, he has no no community. Like, he doesn't go to meetups. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have a sense of community. Because he is assuming that we're going to date based on scarcity. Mm-hmm. He feels scarcity. I don't feel scarcity. I can tell you right now, I'm part of two online groups, and each one has at least 1,500 people in it. Nice. I could name probably close to 1,000 people in my own town. Am I going to date all of them? Absolutely not. I mean, who has that kind of time? No, seriously. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I'm not going to be compatible with everyone. But in that group of people, I can certainly find enough people to date that I'm going to be compatible with. I don't feel anxiety around scarcity anymore. And I haven't felt anxiety around scarcity in years. And that is a huge difference than when I lived in Connecticut or when I was in the pine barrens you know what I mean like there's a huge difference there and I you know it's always funny because I had such an anxiety growing up as someone who you know knew that she was bisexual in the early 90s as a 12 year you know from the time I was 12 I knew but I grew up in a very suburban area and like I never did the go to the city thing and I never really like went college traditionally and so like I never really got a very queer experience and I ended up having a lot of anxiety around it for the majority of my young adults and then early adults and then middle adults and even sometimes now I have a little bit of anxiety about it despite having you know two partners who are women and so if I had just gone to the city if I had just met more people who were out because I was the only out person in my high school in the 90s. 
if that hadn't been my experience, right? And if it hadn't been my experience to be close to a huge poly population, I would still feel scarcity. I would still feel weird and have all these bad dating choices and decisions that I'd be making. And I, so I try to be uh, cognizant of that when I'm like online seeing people come into the community for the first time and saying things like, Hey, we're looking for a third to complete us, which like for seasoned polyamorous people (laughs) is like a red flag on top of a pile of red flags (laughs) on a mountain of red flags surrounded, uh, surrounded by, you know, (laughs) some more red flags with a red flag on top. Looking for a unicorn. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And the thing is, is, it's upsetting because you know people come in and they get so upset that they're they're like I, I feel like you're attacking me all you're doing is attacking my preference how dare you attack my preference and it's like okay you are literally not listening to people who have been here and done this for like 20 30 40 years right we are not telling you that you are bad people what we're telling you is that you have unrealistic expectations those expectations have harmed other people in the past and we are trying to explain to you why what you're doing most of the time does not work and not only does it not work but if you happen to stumble into a thing that feels like it might work why it will likely crash and burn in a way that hurts everyone it's like hey we don't want to stop you from finding people to date that is not anybody's goal. Nobody wants to say, get the hell out of polyamory. What people want to do when people come into the community is show them how to, how to date in a way that is healthier for the people in the community so that no one has to repeat the mistakes of the past. Right. Thank you for that. So with having multiple relationships, how do you manage your time? Google Calendar. so I work from home so it's not too big of a deal anymore and I don't live with anyone and I don't actually plan on living with anyone anytime soon that's like not a thing that I do but for the most part it's a lot of people I know use shared google calendars I'm not into sharing calendars I feel uncomfortable about it I don't need to see other people's schedules. It feels like a thing that only matters if you have like kids and stuff to me personally. I used to share calendars and then like I had a partner who had a a ridiculous, very busy in two states schedule and that person I made an exception for. But for the most part, you know, you're, I feel people are responsible for their own schedules when they are sharing calendars, it is, you know, to help in organizing information. I don't think anybody should ever put the burden of their own scheduling on someone else. And I think that's one of the reasons why I've been reluctant to share my calendar in a really long time. I know that for a lot of people, they use it as a shortcut. I like steady date nights. I know that for everybody, that's not easy, but I like the consistency of them. 
I'm really like 20 plus years into this. So my decisions may not be what someone else's might be, but I also know that I'm coming from a place of like, I like to manage my, my personal time too, like to make sure I have a lot of it because I really like quiet and downtime. And I also like to make sure that when I meet somebody, I try not to spend too much time with them because if I do, I'll get very wrapped up in them. And I don't like that feeling either. I know that it like will make me giddy and happy and whatever, but um, they can do that from afar. And (laughs) there's a thing in polyamory called new relationship energy Mm -hmm. and RE. And it is just another, it's just like the polyamorous name for the honeymoon phase. But the when we talk about the honeymoon phase, we usually, like, don't really talk about what it is. In polyamory, we specifically talk about what it is. It is a an actual pile of chemicals, like, nameable chemicals that are in your system when you start a new relationship. It's, like, adrenaline and oxytocin and I always forget one. And your body will, like, go into withdrawal when you don't see a new person like it is no different than having an addiction sometimes depending on how your body responds some people have very little of this um this chemical stew in them and some people get a lot of it some of them get a very big drop off when the person like leaves the room some people don't and my body is very responsive to dumping a lot of chemicals in me and taking them away really fast And so I try really hard to be cognizant of that. And so I'm like, hey, new person, I can hang out with you no more than once a week. That sort of thing. Just just to make sure that I'm not getting too wrapped up. And honestly, we have time. Everybody has time. Well, I like to believe we all have time. So... It's too easy to say, like, I feel good. I'm just going to keep feeling good. The reality of the scenario is, is like, yeah, those are a bunch of chemicals in your system. They're going to fade because your body literally cannot keep that amount of chemicals up. It is a stressor on your body. It's literally stressing your body out to have that many chemicals in it. So that's why people are like, oh, after like three or six months, I'm like not into this person anymore. Or, hey, after three to six months, or up to two years, really, I don't have as much enthusiasm, or, like, we don't, like, have sex every two seconds anymore, and then everybody feels sad, because we don't talk about this chemical cocktail and what it does to us, and we don't recognize that it's going to fade. I like to wait for the fade out before I start making real decisions about the relationship and whether it's going to stay, and I would not know about this if not for polyamory if polyamory hadn't taught me a phrase for this and the biological responses of this and how to look for them in myself it's so interesting because you think like oh polyamory it like teaches you to communicate but I've learned more about communicating like with my own like actual body I guess (laughs) like not even in a sexy way just like Oh, NRE, huh? That's what I was doing. That's why, like, after, like, three months or, or, like, four months or five months, I'd be, like, you know, on second thought, now that I'm, like, not giddy all the time, 
this relationship actually isn't very compatible. Why am I in it again? <laughs> like, and I would like hurt people's feelings. They'd be like all enthused <laughs> and they'd still be into it. And I'd be like, oh, I was an NRE junkie. Cool. I don't want to be that anymore. Right. So I temper, I temper my responses on purpose. But yeah, you know, you learn all these cool things because, because people who think too much about stuff will teach you about things. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> One last question I have is what about coming out to your family or friends as being poly? It can be tough. I'm very lucky. I'm from a super liberal family. Well, the dynamic has changed a little bit over time, but my family growing up was just like five hippie girls. So my mom and four hippie aunts. And the whole dynamic of my family was Irish Catholic Democrats. It's basically do what you want. Just don't, don't do anything too dumb, I guess. (laughs) And so I was very lucky because, you know, I, I knew that I was bisexual at 12. I came out at school. I was outed at school when I was 14 or 15 and then I met someone that I was serious about when I was 18 and I decided to come out to my family so it's a long time to sort of sit on knowing about yourself and you know when I came out to my mom I just said mom I'm bisexual and she said oh it's person's name meaning my girlfriend I'm just not gonna say the person's name 18 yet and I was like my mom is so practical and annoying (laughs) um and then everyone else in my family said exactly the same thing as long as you are happy nice and then years later my metamore and I were both librarians and we were at a library conference in Orlando together and my mom met up with us and so she had met my metamore Metamore and I were rooming together and hanging out and it was awesome and I said something to my mom about my partner and had mentioned that that was you know her husband and she and she said that's your boyfriend and her husband and I was like yeah yeah we're polyamorous and she goes sounds like work and that was it (laughs) that was like the whole thing and I was just like okay cool great fantastic classic mom so I'm very blessed right like I have friends who you know their parents think they're going to hell and uh, a lot of friends don't come out if they have kids right it's the same thing as any other coming out you do what feels safest to you flip side of that is the more people who feel safe to come out the more I encourage them to do so visibility helps everyone but you have to feel like you're in a good position to do so right like I would never suggest it to somebody who has like parents that would threaten to take away their children mm-hmm. and this has happened you know there have been court cases where mostly they're getting dismissed out of hand at this point but you know back in in the 90s there was a, a big court case about it where this woman had her child taken away 
because she was polyamorous and, you know, all of us on whatever Yahoo groups, the poly families Yahoo group, were following the case pretty closely. And it was a big deal because we really wanted to know what our future was going to be like, you know, if her, if her kid could be taken away, then our kids could be taken away. So it's really up to the comfort of the people, you know, just like any other coming out, it's a process. There is a book written by Tamara Pincus and Rebecca Hiles called, it's called Polyamory, Coming Out About Your Non-Monogamous Relationships. I hope I got that title right. You can find it on Amazon and I believe it's printed by Thorn Tree Press. So there's a whole book dedicated to it, written by two wonderful people. So that's a good resource. Your librarian tells you there's a resource. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like any other coming out. You know, you don't want to make somebody else's event about it. You don't want to make a big deal about it at like a holiday meal where people can't like process, right? Mm-hmm. You, you do have to expect some of the really invasive, obnoxious questions, <laughs> you know, like, oh, do you all sleep together? So it's like orgies or whatever, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, okay, cool, great, fantastic. Um, but you know, may you have a may you have a mother as a whatever is mine. <laughs> whatever is actually a great word for it. Here's the other thing. Know the laws in your workplace. There are a lot of ways to discriminate against people without resorting to calling them names or doing overt things and polyamory is not a protected class so if you are straight and polyamorous that is very different than being queer and polyamorous when it comes to legal protection yeah Mm -hmm. that's what I want to say about that thank you for sharing that thank you for being here today what a great discussion I really appreciate it. And yeah, no problem. Yeah. So tell folks, where can they find you if they want to find oh. you on social media? Okay, well, I am the polyamorous librarian on, let's see, WordPress is where you find my website, which tells you all of my services. I do editing. Uh, I do book doctoring. I actually do relationship support, although that's on hold until the book's done do oh gosh public speaking which I can do through zoom uh, as long as you don't need video and uh let's see so there's a whole bunch of stuff on that and also all the links to the books and then you can find me on instagram where I post pictures of a bunch of cats including ones that are not my own um and then (laughs) uh primarily you'll find me on facebook and then on Twitter, I have a different name, Hello Librarian, because I started my Twitter way before I started all of this. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. So much information packed into this episode. Thank you so much, Allie. Please be sure to check out her work, The Polyamorous Librarian. At the end of every episode, I'll be posting a question for you to consider. Today's question is how do you handle jealousy in a relationship? I'd love to hear your thoughts. 
go to desirability.com. That's D-I-S-I-R ability.com and share your thoughts with me. Desirability Alt was created and hosted by me, Angela Carr. Opinions expressed are from my own personal experience or that of my guests. Did you like what you heard today? Be sure to follow Desirability Alt wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, you can also find me at desirability.com or on any social media at desirability. That's D-I-S-I-R ability. Thank you for sharing this journey with me.